In today's show, we're talking Boston Celtics with the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast, John Corrales. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We're here to talk Celtics, team that's loaded up. Are they still got more moves to come? I don't know. But we're going to talk about what they currently look like at the moment. So let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're getting back on the show for, I think it's the seventh year in a row. John Corrales is here to talk about the Boston Celtics. Johnny, welcome back. Oh, happy to be back, man. Glad, uh, glad you have me on. Thank you. We're going to talk about this Celtics team that, of course, went to the NBA Finals. They are probably favored to go back there again, if not win a title. They've made moves to strengthen themselves. There's rumors of other moves that we might touch on a little bit later on. But let's look at what's actually happened so far, John, for this team. And bringing in two really key pieces, Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari. They've also signed Fyundo Cabangele as a two-way. Noah Vonley's there. J.D. Davison was drafted. And they lost... Not much. Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith, Juwan Morgan, Matt Ryan, Stauskas, Fitz, Broderick Thomas. But it's just a huge, huge addition to get both Gallinari and Brogdon in without really losing much. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was a huge get. You know, losing Daniel Tice is, you know, with the Celtics big man situation, it's a little bit on the on the you know tougher side there. But, you know, that that's a small, small price to pay for getting Brogdon in and getting some help across the perimeter. You, you can use him as a backup point guard for Marcus Smart. He can certainly start if there's any sort of injuries and he can play the two, he can play the three. So the Celtics need that versatility and, you know, moving him to the bench and having him accept the role coming off the bench in this situation is, is kind of big because we saw in the finals where the Celtics lack of dependable depth, someone you can rely on in that, big moment that really hurt the team because you you then put so much pressure on Tatum and Brown and smart they they ran out of gas they they need some help so getting getting Brogdon getting a shooter like Gallinari is is big and on top of it the Celtics still have ways to maneuver to to fill out the roster so they 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 really have done very, very well to address a need because basically they were playing like seven guys really in the playoffs. It was like the starters plus White and Grant Williams, unless I'm missing someone. Peyton Pritchard sort of got minutes, but that was it. Tice would sort of get minutes, but it was seven key guys. Now they're going to be having you know eight, nine key guys really. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the Brogdon thing because every time I talk about the Celtics, someone goes, "No, nah, you're wrong, man. Brogdon's starting. He's definitely a starter. Twenty point per game scorer. He's starting." He, he is not starting unless there is an injury, John. That nope. is that has been confirmed by him, by I think his manager, by the team. Like he is not starting. He is their sixth man. We're going to talk a little bit more about his role later. But just again, I want to hear it straight out of your mouth. Malcolm Brogdon is not starting. <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon is not starting. He's here to come off the bench. He has acknowledged that he's coming off the bench. He is uh, He's acknowledged that Marcus Smart is the starting point guard. And he is 
prepared to do what needs to be done. And so, but he also has to know that because of what the Celtics, you know, the short turnaround and, and really a number of short turnarounds, if you go back to the previous seasons of COVID and how that impacted the schedule, they are going to need to slowly ramp up people. So by going to the bench, he's really not losing anything. It's just a redistribution of him getting mostly the same minutes. So his role will be a little bit different, and he will start sometimes. Marcus Smart does miss time. You know, Jalen Brown will miss some time. Jason Tatum will, will have to get some days off. So you can start Brogdon on any of those occasions and be be good. And you still have Derek White backing those guys up. So you're in a good situation. So he knows he'll probably still start probably 20, 30 games for the Celtics. So it's he, he'll go to the bench when they're at full strength. He's not here to replace anybody, uh, but he knows that he'll he'll still have a pretty big role. It's one of those things that it's not it's not quite the same, but for someone like a Jeremy Grant who went from a key role player low usage to a high usage guy that scored a lot in Detroit and now is going back to a lower usage player. Malcolm Brogdon was a low usage player in Milwaukee. Like he just didn't have the ball that often. He would didn't pass it that often. He scored okay. He filled a role as a shooter, went to a team where he was entrusted with a larger role. Now he's going back to a team where he moves back into that role similar to what he was in Milwaukee. So again, people need to be looking at, not looking at necessarily what he did in Indiana, but even going all the way back to how he was playing as a member of the Milwaukee Bucks to get more of an idea of sort of the role. It'll be a little bit different, of course, but that's sort of more of the Brogdon we're getting, not necessarily Indiana Pacers, Malcolm Brogdon. Now Brogdon missed a shitload of time last season, John, with Achilles injuries. We assume that he is ready to go, but there are some other injuries we need to talk about because Rob Williams had a knee problem, came back in the playoffs, wasn't 100%. Where are we at with that? Uh, The last I heard is that it it was just something that needed rest, and he's been getting that rest in the offseason. There was never any any long-term impact on him. It just needed to – he needed to play through the pain – and play through some inflammation, but uh, the meniscus tear itself, there's there's no further tearing. It was just getting through that surgery uh, and and getting off his feet for a little while. So he should be back to 100% when he's he's back at camp. So uh, no concerns for Robert Williams. Because people were panicking again about him drafting him in fantasy this year. And, man, he was hurt in the playoffs. He's always going to get hurt. He played three fewer games than Luka Doncic during the regular season. Like, he actually stayed healthy until until the end of the season. And, again, we know he's going to be okay for now. Yes, he's had toe issues and lower body injuries. And we're worried about that with anyone who's that tall. It's just going to be a problem. But at this point, he's healthy. And what about Jason Tatum? News came out yesterday that he played the finals with a fractured wrist. Fractured wrists, unless you're Jonathan Isaac, these injuries don't take years and years to heal. So he'll be ready to go, we're guessing, for training camp? Yeah. I mean, I don't look at pro-ams for much, but he did play in this pro-am without a wrap on that left wrist. So he had been playing with a wrap on that left wrist in the playoffs, in the finals. So that tells me that it should be fine. If there was any sort of pain or anything, he, he would have had something on there. So seems like it was uh, just a painful thing and not something that's uh, going to, going to linger. I don't think so. And it was a non-displaced fracture, which means it didn't move. It just kind of like broke and just stayed in the same place. So it healed. It was just painful. And he had some moments there where it was really, really painful. 
but other than that it, it should be should be no problem and like i said the playing playing any any kind of basketball without a rap on it tells me that he's fine you don't pay any attention to um peyton pritchard's 92 point pro-am performances or anything like that you're not like breaking down film of that yeah yeah i mean i tried to get into the x's and o's of that but uh, once you get to point sixty five, you just say, okay, he's just hitting shots. Yeah, that's Peyton Pritchard, Pro-Am legend. We're going to talk about a projected starting line. We've already given away that Malcolm Brogdon won't be in that. Before we do, we're going to tell you about Rocket Money because it used to be called Truebill. And you've heard me talk about Truebill. And if you need to make a budget and you never do it, well, I've got a solution for you. This is something to help you keep track of credit 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 card payments. I can't speak. If you're afraid of looking at your bank statements, maybe something like Rocket Money, which is formerly Truebill, might be something that you need. So what did Truebill change its name to Rocket Money? Well, first of all, they're now backed by Rocket Companies. And it's grown from a full... From a, from a bill management app into a full-time personal finance empowerment tool that helps 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering bills, canceling subscriptions, and more, saving each of their members on average $700 a year. With all that growth comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, and that is that new name. So bottom line is Rocket Money. It's the same thing that you've loved with Truebill in the past. It's just got a fresh look and feel. So start canceling your unused subscriptions today and save money at rocketmoney.com dot com slash locked on nba that's rocketmoney.com slash locked on nba or download the app from the apple app store or the google play store the starting five john this is the most unsurprising starting five that we will get it's marcus smart jalen brown jason tatum al horford and rob williams it worked fantastically last season there is absolutely no need to mess around with it i don't know what more to say about it the only thing i can say about it is that al horford is going to be an interesting case here because of his age and, and how much um, he's going to play. Now, I, I don't know how much fantasy, from a fantasy perspective, how much fantasy value he really had anyway. Uh, a lot, but a there, lot. There, Oh, well, great. So, uh, well, then that could be impacted if as, as the Celtics uh, try to kind of preserve him. I think uh, at his age, with the short turnaround, I don't think they're going to try to really play him as much as they did early last season. So I think they, they're going to kind of lean on the fact that these five guys know how to play together. And so we'll see probably either some early substitutions and you keep Al Horford's minutes down to maybe less than 30, if you can, to try and just keep him, keep him fresh. Maybe you start to see some second night of a back-to-back taking those nights off, uh, preserving him that way. So you might see a little bit more Luke Cornett, uh, who they currently have as their third big, you might see a little bit more Grant Williams in that role. So there, there could be some adjustment from last year to this year. But when this group played together and they were healthy, dominant, 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 dominant. So um, that that I see no reason to change how they start these games. Um, it just may be in the middle. You you sign Gallinari for a reason. Just you know, use him. And, and keep Horford's minutes low until after the All-Star break when you start to ramp him up and get him ready for the playoffs. Emi Adoka sort of did it opposite last season. Like, he was playing Rob Williams and Al Horford big minutes early on in the year. In the end, Al only played 29 minutes a night, but he was playing big minutes early, and his block rate really rebounded. Like, it was non-existent almost in Oklahoma City and even in Philadelphia, but a lot of his numbers just went back to numbers from four or five years ago last season. So I guess there is some 
fear that maybe there's a little bit of a dip as a 36-year-old man, that maybe he's not blocking one and a half shots a game again, and that that 29 minutes goes down to 28 minutes or 27 minutes as they look to preserve. But as you've already mentioned, the front court depth isn't particularly strong. It's not like they have... Like Grant Williams is there, but I don't want to rely upon Luke Cornett. I don't want to have to watch Luke Cornett. So I don't think... They don't have this... It's not like they have three literally NBA starting caliber point guards, which they do. They don't have that with the front court option. So it's not like they can just go completely easy. Yes, Gallinari will help, but it's not as... It's not as straightforward as just saying, we're going to play him 20 minutes a night to keep him fresh because they might not have that flexibility. Now, in terms of the bench, we've got a five-man rotation here. There is a lot of guards in this group because there is Malcolm Brogdon, there's Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, Daniel Gallinari, and Grant Grant Williams. Three guys there are point guards. And that's Brogdon, White, and Pritchard. Now, White and Brogdon can play up because they're a bit bigger. They can defend pretty well. Gallinari's really a four. Williams is really a four. He'll play a lot of five. It's a lot of talent in this group. Um, how does it, how, I was going to ask this question later, but we'll do it now. Derek White had some really good moments last year, struggled at times, but is Brogdon just the clear cut guy over him? Or will there be nights where you see White play 27 and Brogdon play 25? Or is it Brogdon's getting 29 and White's playing 22 or 23? I, I think right now I'm probably leaning Brogdon, but they love Derek White. So it may just be on a, uh, game by game basis where you, you try to, again, there's a lot of preservation going on and guy who's had the injury, his history of a Malcolm Brogdon, you say, Hey, you know, tonight, Derek, Derek has it going tonight. And so why don't, why don't you just take it easy? 18 minutes tonight or 20 minutes tonight, you know, relax. We're not, we're not gonna, don't, don't read into one guy getting too many more minutes than the other guy in any certain case. I think they're all building towards something. So, I think when we get to the final numbers, I think Brogdon will be the first guy. He'll be the sixth man. And then Derek White. What I'd like to see is probably Malcolm Brogdon in for Marcus Smart and just have them be pretty much the, you know, sharing the point guard role with Derek White kind of coming in sporadically as spelling some of these other guys and 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 maybe you have White come in and play with Malcolm Brogdon. I, you might see them all three play sometimes, some minutes together, but I, I'd like to see a straight backup to Marcus Smart so Marcus doesn't have to play off the ball. It's one of the things that I'm really hoping for because Marcus Smart off the ball is nowhere near as effective as Marcus Smart on the ball, who I love. I love Marcus Smart as a point guard. I think he, he's very effective, and it, it, his whole game blossoms from there. So uh, Brogdon, Brogdon first off the bench. Derek White. Pritchard, I think, is kind of another numbers crunch. He's going to spend a lot of time DNPs, and, and then you go from there. The Celtics still do have two traded player exceptions, one for just about six and one for just about seven million that I think they'll they'll use if the Luke Cornett experiment – fails which you might say well then they're going to use those because it's <laughs> bound to fail but you never know who no, you never know. situationally works in you know six minute stints here and there he might be fine uh and they might just say all right great well we can use that another another way or just don't use them but they have options to go from there there's not many young players on this team jd davison was drafted um at a pretty good summer league I remember another Celtics guard who was drafted in the second round, heard a pretty good summer league. His name's Carson Edwards. That didn't particularly go that well. Um, 
yeah, just give me 30 seconds on, on J.D. Davison. Is there potential for him to develop into a rotation player in a couple of years? In a couple of years, maybe. Uh, you know, he has he has a, a strong drive to get to the hoop. He's got a nose for the rim. Uh, so far, he, you know, he's he's got that that mentality that the Celtics kind of want in a guy like that. I think more likely he's going to be a guy that shows some promise in the G League, and then you can attach him to another trade that maybe a, a team with something the Celtics want, an older player, a team looking to get younger, a Utah or somebody like that. Uh, might say, hey, Davidson's having a great G League. Let, you know, we're we're interested in, in in kind of cultivating him. That might be the where he makes his biggest impact. But he's he's an intriguing player, and you know, a couple of years to develop. Certainly not this year, but in a couple of years, he might he might have some some kind of role. Would you would you say the Celtics are out on the Kevin Durant sweepstakes? I mean, I can't say for sure that they're out because the more desperation that Brooklyn faces the more they might say, okay, fine, and and throw their hands up in the air and say, we'll take a deal that uh, maybe they wouldn't have taken before. And if the Celtics don't feel like they can keep Jalen Brown, then then maybe they say, all right, we're, we're willing to do that deal. Uh, I personally, I kind of hope that they're out on Durant because I don't want the Celtics to tear up a core that just went to the finals. And I personally believe in getting back there uh, a few times over the course of their careers. I think they have a real chance to do something special. Um, but outs, I, I can't say for sure that he's out, but uh, I don't know how in the Celtics were in the first place. I think, I think this is more gamesmanship from Brooklyn than anything. Do you, I agree that I wouldn't want to do it unless Jalen Brown is just like, I'm done. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be here. Right. You know, this sub max deal that I'm on, you should have given me more to begin with. I don't like my name being floated around. Like unless you know, there was issues at the beginning of last year with a Marcus Smart calling out Jalen Brown and Jason, like all this sort of stuff. Like what's the feeling you get on Jalen? Cause he's clearly outspoken, whether that's in, not really in the media, but we know he's going to say his piece behind the scenes. So what's the feeling on, on his you know, future or his feeling with the organization? I have no indication at all that he doesn't like being in Boston, that they he doesn't like playing with these guys, and that he doesn't like playing for Ime Udoka. Like, I think he likes the situation. Now, maybe he does want to emerge from Jason Tatum's shadow. Uh, you can certainly hear from some of the things that he says uh, how he wants to be kind of more elevated, more closely to Jason Tatum in these discussions. Which is fine. That's understandable. And, and and who knows in two years if that gets worse or that gets better. But I think ultimately he's enjoyed his time in Boston. He likes his teammates. He likes his coach. He probably doesn't like some of the name, his rumor being name and being some of the rumors. Probably doesn't like some of the characterizations of him by some in like the local sports talk radio scene. But the external stuff is what it is, and you can't control that. The internal stuff has always seemed to be very good for him, and this is a Celtics team that has 45% of their upcoming regular season schedule on some form of national TV, if you include NBA TV. So they're going to be out there. He's going he's gonna to get a lot of opportunity to make an impact, and if he that exposure turns him into a, a, an all-NBA player and he gets onto that third team or, or better maybe – uh, he can 
get that super max from the Celtics, and I don't think they're going to go sub max th- this next time. I think they'll go super max next time, and so he'll get the most money. He'll still get the most exposure, and who knows? Maybe by then a championship, and y- you say, well, how can you leave that? So no indication at all that he's unhappy with anything besides the noise. I reckon he was pretty close to cracking that third-team All-NBA last season, so it's not without, you know, especially given that sometimes, yeah, forwards, and there was a lot of forwards who were injured last season as well, like getting into that spot sometimes can be um, doable. I reckon he's not far away from that. We When we talked last season, I was pretty skeptical, John, of the Horford and Williams combination. We'd seen your two big lineups with Tristan Thompson involved the year before go really, really poorly, and the persistence with those frustrated both of us. Um, but it worked so well, and I was clearly wrong on that. Do you think we see more or less of the two bigs that we saw this season, or is the fact that we are a little bit limited in terms of those backups and we might have to rely upon Luke Cornett? Like, I don't know if you count. Grant Williams is a power forward, but he plays some center. Like, do we get more of that, or is that strength in guard with Pritchard, White, Brogdon all on the bench, maybe we're going to see more uh, more Tatum at the four? I, I think you probably start each half too big, and then you you – you get away from that. You sub out Horford early, and then you kind of go one big for most of the rest of the way. Uh, but that depends on matchups. I'm going to say less, uh, mostly because I think just they're, they're going to want to sit Horford. And, and I don't think going double big, if you like Luke Cornett and Robert Williams, who knows? May, maybe Luke Cornett finds some shooting, like an increase in his three-point shooting, and the combination of those guys just happens to be the right mix of the right guys, and Cornette just becomes this dead-eye stretch big, and you do see more double-big lineups. Uh, I don't anticipate that, but it's not out of the question. So my my inclination is to say probably less because they're so guard and wing heavy that they'll they'll probably just rely on – more of those smaller lineups. I love the idea of smaller lineups. Uh, I I love the idea of even going super small with Tatum at the five in some matchups, you know, and you can run Marcus Smart, uh, Derek White, Mark uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen and Jason out there and have a real just menace defensive team lack some size, but you're going super small and, and hopefully speed and skill. I can see them throwing that lineup out there a few times and, and testing it out. So uh, I would say, generally speaking, less is my anticipation. Yeah, I would I would anticipate that as well. Um, I know you're the president of the Lucornet fan club, but do you reckon there's any chance that Kevin Galley or Vonley can maybe get into that that role? I reckon, yeah, I reckon there's a chance that yeah. they might be equivalent or better. Yeah, I mean, look, I, the thing with Luke Cornette is he, he could be fine, he could suck. And, and he, we, he's we done both. He's done both of those things. Like he's been okay, and then he's just been dreadful. Right. I think he was he was all right in New York, and he was shocking in Chicago when he was there. And he yeah. was, he's had some moments in Boston as well. So so who knows? Uh, I I don't think Vonley is going to make any sort of impact. I'm interested in the Cabin Gelly thing. I think the Celtics are playing a little bit of a game with the two way spot there because it's not going to be a developmental spot. Mm. I think they're just kind of using that spot to. Give Cabin Gelly the extra, you know, now you can pay a guy's $500,000 and, you know, he he goes from the, maybe going to the G League to, no, I'm actually making a, a pretty good salary 
as a, a backup big, and they can always you know upgrade that later on. I think they're just playing the if if Cornette doesn't work, then you've got Cabin Gelly as the more Robert Williams mold pick setter roller uh, lob catcher type of guy. So they'll 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 use him in in that role sometimes. Obviously, Rob, they, the the injury history is there. So they they may want to play it a little safer with him too, and that that would be where Cabangeli kind of steps in. So like I said before, they have options to go out and get other bigs. So there there are going to be opportunities for everybody on this roster over six ten to or six nine, uh, I think to, to to come in and and make some sort of impact down low. We're just gonna have to see how the season plays out with that. Interesting. Thompson's still available too, John. So you can maybe have the uh, the, the return. Um, Jason Tatum in the finals. We know he's dealing with this wrist issue, but started just dishing dimes, like we had 13 assists in one game, and the passing really elevated. Is that real, or is that a case of like, hey, his wrist was actually hurting and the shot wasn't going in, so he just took on a different role? Now there are, as we've detailed, a million point guards on this team. Are we going to see more of this facilitating Tatum, or is it just going to go more back to what we've seen in the past? No, I think th- I think that's real uh, because. Ime Udoka made that an emphasis. He wants Tatum to be a facilitator. He wants him to make his teammates better. Now, that could have been one big season of uh, a setup where this season you go with a counter move. Everybody expects him to be more of a passer, and now he uses that threat of a pass to get to the rim a little bit more. But I think I think the emphasis on passing is real. Ime Udoka wants to get back to that Spurs beautiful game basketball and that means everybody is passing, everybody is driving and making the right read, and and Tatum as the the most dangerous scorer on the team, with the, all the attention that he's going to draw, has to be able to find his teammates. And I think that's just going to be an emphasis from now on. So I would expect his assist numbers to continue to go up. So I, I think the passing is real. Yeah, I tend to agree with that as well. well. Who's a breakout candidate on this team if there is one? A breakout candidate. I, you know, I don't see anybody going from middle numbers to great numbers, right? I think you're still relying on Tatum and Jalen Brown to kind of be who they are, increase their efficiency. You want Marcus Smart to increase his efficiency and be more judicious. That's like what we've been saying his whole career from three. Uh, maybe if I had to pin on somebody, Derek White in in just just him getting more comfortable in Boston having instead of coming over in the middle year of the year with a pregnant wife and living out of a hotel and having all of that craziness and just being thrown into the middle of a new team, no matter how similar it was to San Antonio, maybe starting out with a more cemented, okay, I'm here, I'm in Boston, I'm settled. I'm in a training camp. I think maybe, maybe he has the opportunity to, to quote unquote break out in, in terms of, maybe hitting a little bit more consistently from three and not shooting whatever the number was. It felt like it was like 20-something percent. It was bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. So maybe maybe he just becomes uh, a league average three-point shooter, which for him would constitute a breakout compared to last year. But I don't see any one guy stepping in and suddenly going from eight points a game to 24 points a game. I think the, the rotations, this is a veteran team with – defined roles and most of the guys coming back to a system that worked a certain way last year. So I think they're just going to try to refine that 
and you can add some wrinkles, but I don't think that anybody's going to kind of break out of whatever walls they were in. On the flip side of that, we've got regression candidates. And I think if you can just look at numbers from last season, it probably has to be Brogdon who's going to take that step back. But that's not like a step back in ability necessarily. That's just a step back in opportunity and fitting into the the new role. But as you said, most of these guys are sort of, apart from Horford, maybe you'd classify Horford as that guy, but everyone's sort of just in their prime and just doing what they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Horford, like you said, uh, for all the reasons that I've stated a couple of times now, uh, he has the potential to just time-wise, just not going to play as much, save it for the playoffs. Uh, Brogdon, like you said, uh, is is a, a candidate because of the the changed role, but may, maybe his production kind of shifts and, and he becomes more of a catch-and-shoot guy than, than he has been and it just changed where he makes his impact. I'm really curious to see where Robert Williams falls in all of this. I don't know if he's going to regress, stay the same, uh, or will he be a breakout candidate? I don't because he has so much potential and untapped potential that the way they were using him before he came in, high post passer. I'm just kind of curious what he adds to his game, if he adds to his game, or if he just become stays the lob catching role guy or anything like that. Ime said early in the season last year. It would kind of suck if you just stayed the lob guy for your whole career. So I think Ime wants him to do something. I just don't know how that's going to impact him, if it's going to take him away from the things that he's done well or if it's going to enhance the things that he's done well. This is an easy question, John. Is this team better than last season? Yeah. Yeah, I think for obvious reasons where you get Brogdon in and you get Gallinari and they address some need, but also, I anticipate some internal improvement. Now, not everybody's going to improve at the same rate, but I expect a guy like Grant Williams to to learn from what happened. I expect Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to learn from what happened. So I would think that this team, even if they didn't do anything and brought back the exact same team, they would be better just for the experience that they just went through. But adding, adding those guys and plugging those holes uh, certainly makes them a better team. Who's the most likely player to be traded? Well, uh, I would say, see, this goes so many different ways because um, I don't, I don't think there's anything to the KD. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to keep Jalen. That might have seemed like an obvious one. I think the most likely guy to go might be Peyton Pritchard in a kind of uh, we're going to use the TPE. We're going to try to upgrade our center spot. We're the depth chart is way too deep for, for him to, even though he's proven that he can have in certain situations, he can have an impact. He can certainly step right in and hit shots right away, but his size makes him a a bit of a liability in the playoffs, but he can help teams. So he could be an interesting guy that a team that's willing to move a big into a TPE say, okay, give us a, give us a second rounder in Peyton Pritchard and we'll be good. And so I think I think that might be the most likely trade that the Celtics pull off. Other than that, I might say Derek White, as because you might say, well, if Smart and Brogdon and White, if there's a little bit too much redundancy there, the Celtics might try to adjust that, and, and White might be the guy that moves in that scenario. 
All right, let's finish it off with some quiz questions, John. Everyone who's been listening to my show knows what these are, what they're, what they're coming. What's coming up? We're talking about the talent grades over on Basketball Index. We look at three of them, three-point shooting talent, playmaking talent, and finishing talent from last season. Three-point shooting talent is not who had the highest three-point percentage. It's about volume, difficulty of shots, pull-ups versus catch-and-shoots, distance, corner threes, shot clock, all that sort of stuff. Like, who's just the best three-point shooting guy? The playmaking is not assist numbers necessarily, but who's creating for others, who's got that um, gravity to open things up, who's hitting guys in the right spots at the rim, in the corners. And finishing is not just about lobs and putbacks. It might be about that, but it's not just about that. It's about driving through contact and getting there and, and being able to finish at the rim. So I want to see how people who cover the team would rate their own players in terms of that and see if the numbers match up. So who do you think would have graded out from last season as the best three-point shooting talent on this team? Um, it's going to be between Jalen Brown and Grant Williams. Because I know I know Tatum had a long, some long cold stretches. Um, I'm going to go with Jalen Brown. Interestingly, it was Jason Tatum who graded out the highest because of because of all the um, I guess self created stuff that he was doing and the difficulty of those. Yeah. He ended up hitting thirty five percent of his threes, which isn't great, but it's I guess the volume of those threes and the difficulty and the self created nature um, that gave him the edge there. I, I was a bit surprised to see that. Um, what about playmaking? This one was really tight as well. Yeah, playmaking for the Celtics last season. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, Marcus Smart. It's Tatum. Tatum did a lot, and Tatum had a lot of secondaries. But I think I think Marcus Smart was passing to better players because you still have to get to Tatum and to Jalen Brown and, and find Grant in the corner. So I'm gonna go with Marcus Smart. You are correct. What about for finishing talent? Who graded out as the best finisher on this team? It has to be Robert Williams. I, I mean, it. Tatum, Tatum was just god-awful for too long to be the finishing guy. Jalen is probably up there. Um, smart smart wouldn't surprise me, but but Rob is is just lobs, putbacks. It's, it's got to be Rob. You're going you're gonna to be annoyed at this one. It was, it was Jason Tatum. You, you, no way. Uh, well, no way. It was him, and then it was Jalen Brown who graded out the highest in finishing talent for this team last season. I think you just, I think you just a, a, Jason, a certified Jason Tatum hater here. Hater, right? <laughs> but the, but one of the storylines from last season was his inability to finish at the rim. Like that, like that is a stated goal for him. What, and what one of the his, things coming out of hmm, what was his rim percentage? I'm just gonna have a look at that. Hmm. His rim percentage was. He had he had a couple of months where it was great, but his if you go month to month, his rim percentage, December, November, December was horrible, horrible. And then he he started to finish at the rim, and and maybe he had two months that were just so great that that kind of averaged it out. But you're, there's no way I I wouldn't bet that anybody in the Celtics beat would have guessed Tatum as the finishing guy because he notoriously had problems meanwhile rob is just not just lobs but putbacks and he, he's like a great finisher at the rim he ended up with 68 percent at the rim tatum so it's not it's not it's not the greatest number Jalen was at 71 but it was better than marcus smart who was under 64 um mm. it was Derek white was at 59 
Rob Williams was at 79, but of course that's basically just all lobs and putbacks. So yep. I guess it's the difficulty and it's the driving numbers from Tatum and drawing those fouls as well that, that push him mm. over the line. So that, that's interesting. All right, last question for you. Rob Williams, we know he's a great shot blocker. What percentile in the NBA was he in terms of block rate <laughs> amongst centers though? So we know that if you look at the entire NBA, he's like right up there. But amongst centers, how high was he up there in terms of block rate? Um, I mean, his block rate was ridiculous. Um, there's, he had to be, but then you had Al Horford out there doing a bunch, man, I, I have to say that Rob was probably, I mean, he's probably top 10. I would say he's probably like f- fifth or sixth in the league. He was about that. It was 95th percentile amongst centers. So out of all centers, he was basically like he wasn't the best, but he was pretty bloody close to it. He was really, really good at protecting the rim. And even though his block numbers over his career have come down a little bit as he's played more minutes, he's still been able to maintain a really, really strong level of production there. John, that'll do it for us talking about the Boston Celtics. Thank you for coming on and talking about this team and answering my stupid questions. Um, tell people what's going on over, over at uh, Locked On Celtics. Well, Locked On Celtics, we're, you know, just continuing through. It's hopefully we're done with the Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant rumors, but uh, still still following all of that and uh, pretty soon getting ready to preview the East. Uh, spoiler alert, I think the Celtics are going to be one of the two or three best teams in the East again. So we'll be talking about that and getting you set up for uh, the upcoming season. Go check it out. Locked On Celtics, wherever you get podcasts and over on YouTube. John, thanks for coming back on the show and, and chatting about Boston. You got it, man. Thanks. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app here on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. We'll have at least one more show coming today. Who knows what else we've got coming down the pike. We'll see other stuff happening. And the best way to follow that is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. As I said already, I think. Maybe I did. Who cares? Anyway, guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.